Welcome, and thank you for listening to the New Day Podcast. We are located in South Kansas City, proclaiming the good news of God's grace to our region and abroad. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, newdaykc.org. This is from Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Lord Jesus, we just ask that your word would speak life to us this morning and that we would understand that we are heirs of God. We are heirs of the very promise from the beginning of time and especially through the covenant promises that you made that we're your kids. And if we're your kids, then the kingdom is ours and the kingdom is within us. And we're a righteous and holy people. And we display the love of God to everybody we see. And we really like that about ourselves. So without shame, without hindrance, without any interference this morning, we ask for more freedom for the understanding of your word, the enlightenment that comes from you, to come into our hearts again. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Actually, I should make you stand, because we're talking about covenants and promises, and we all should do Father Abraham. We're learning about Abraham. Yeah, you guys know, some of you have worked in children's ministry for a while. It's a wonderful song. And uh, for a long time in my uh, Christian upbringing, I never understood until I went to a, a Bible class the direct correlation between Father Abraham and why he was called Father Abraham to the connection, other than it was kid stuff, and he was a hero of the Old Testament. Maybe that's where some of you are at, and uh, hopefully on this journey we're learning other things about covenant and what covenant faith really is. Um, you know, the, the, the idea of covenant has actually even birthed denominations. There's a covenant denomination, the Brethren Churches, who looked at this very strongly, have there been heirs made with covenant theology? Of course. Do you know there's been heirs made with every sort of theology and doctrine that's been known to the church? Uh, I love the way Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He was, he was talking about the doctrine of justification by faith in his exposition of Romans. And he wrote in there, some have said, this is a dangerous doctrine. You know what he says? They're right. All doctrine is dangerous because when it's used out of balance and when it's used to make an effect without it taken within the whole counsel of God, yes, it can be used incorrectly. But I tell you what, the understanding of covenant is an incredibly freeing place in God. And we're on a journey of looking at this highway to grace and what the new covenant means to us and trying to understand its connection and its separation from old covenant. So you find 
two primary covenants. So this is a little introduction, a little catch-up. And yes, if you looked for the teaching last Sunday to be on the website, guess what wasn't there? Teaching, because I took the thumb drive, stuck it in my pocketses, and totally lost it, precious. And I looked all week for it, and I don't know if it's because I've had a cold, but I'm just not functioning at 100%. So someplace between here and the pancake place in Grandview and home, and then back again to look for it to stick it in the computer, I can't find it anywhere. So uh, what we'll do is we'll pull the teaching off from last week off the video, and uh, and I'll have it up in a, probably this, this coming week by next Thursday or Friday. So... Um, you will be able to catch up. It's just going to take a little time. So we do have a backup system. So I'm the technical heir. So give me grace for that. Grace. So as we looked at this, there are two primary covenants that we find in the Old Testament. Old Testament divided from the New. In that, in that this... The two primary ones, and there's actually about five of them all together, the two primary ones are the covenant of Abraham, who became the father of the nation Israel. So, uh, and we've been searching out that. And then the covenant that was followed upon, which is called the covenant of Moses, or the Mosaic covenant. And it's also called the covenant of law, because it, it uh, had many characteristics about it. The covenant about Abraham, the greatest characteristic that it has is it was not a covenant of law. It was a covenant of promise. And that's what it's actually theologically, if you do theological studies on it, it's known as a covenant of promise because God swore by himself to make Abraham a great nation. And then he gave a prophetic promise to him that we actually see fulfilled in the New Covenant in that he said, through your seed, singular, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He was talking about Jesus. And that's what Paul tells us in Galatians, that Jesus is that seed. And so actually it's a prophecy, it's a messianic prophecy, that there was one coming who wouldn't just love people of Abraham, which we now refer to as being Jewish, Jews. He wasn't just going to give a blessing to them. The, the blessing would be to everybody, to the world. So in it, another way of putting it in the New Testament is what Jesus said about himself, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe on him would not perish but have eternal life. And that's the direct promise taken forward, spoken by Jesus himself about himself. It's really interesting if you look at the life of Jesus, and, this, and then we're going to look at some characteristics of this covenant, is that, um, like all family lines, there's a sense of, Ownership and pride that comes with it. There's a sense of security of belonging. And so as the Jewish people grew and became a large people, a great people, a nation, and then their nation was overrun by other countries, and I'm, I'm not going to do a survey of the Old Testament. We all know the, the stories well. And as they went through this, there was still a sense of belongingness, a knittedness that went back to this original promise that God gave 
to Abraham that we looked at last week, and, and we know of five conversations that, that God had with Abraham over it and the wonderfulness of it. And Jesus says he came, you know, and here, I mean, it's such a stunning story, isn't it? The way it's all connected, it just, I don't know if it blows you away. It blows me away all the time. You know, here's all these people who love God. Listen, when we talk about Pharisees and Sadducees and, and you know, all the different sects and groups that you see, in, especially when you read the Gospels and understanding, look, don't get in your head that these Pharisees were, like, ungodly. Do you understand they loved God? They weren't people that didn't love God. They got distorted. They had a strange view of their relationship to God. And they added a lot of things to what God originally gave them through the hundreds of years. But they loved God. And they looked back and they went, we are sons of Abraham. It actually separated them from all the other nations on the earth. It wasn't just national pride either. There was a sense of knowing Wait a minute. God promised that we would be His special people. That's carried over into the New Testament, by the way. And, that, and so this idea of we are the children of Abraham and Abraham is our father. And when they heard Jesus come on the scene and speak all kinds of uh, things that they weren't used to hearing and Him dividing rightly the law of God. He very much, he, he came along by dividing rightly. What I mean is, he explained what they were desperately in their love for God were trying to understand. And so, when they got into debate with him, they, they went, Wait a minute, we're not getting what you're saying. The kingdom is within you. This is like, what are you talking about? And they struggled seeing him as Messiah. And so, they started debating with him. And they did things like, Wait a minute, we're sons of Abraham. I love what Jesus did. Do you know how he answered them? Before Abraham was, I am. Now, he wasn't just talking about his existence because he was declaring himself to be God. Right to them, right in front of them, you know. And that, to them, for a man, a human being, to stand on earth and declare, here I am. I'm your God. Uh, pretty startling. Pretty, it, it broke up everything of what they knew about God, Father, tradition, understanding, past teachers, all this kind of stuff. Now fast forward today. We still have the same difficulty as we search through the Scriptures, getting this understanding. It is Jesus Himself Jesus said to them, you search the Scriptures, trying to find God. Here I am. That's the incredibleness of this incarnation. Jesus, you have to remember, now we're looking back, so we're taking what we now know as New Covenant faith, and we're looking back to what God's promise was through Abraham. And it's this, Jesus is the incarnate expression and God to us. If you ever wonder about what God's like, man, get in the four Gospels and look at Jesus. 
He, in the writer of Hebrews, says this. He is the express image of what the Father looks like. Now, one more bit of introduction, then we'll get into it. Something that I have never understood and, and have had to... It's not that I don't understand it. It's been perplexing to me. Because I've had lots of people say to me, oh, you have the anointing of a father, and you have, you have this and this and this, you know, and, and that, and they want me to pray for them in a way that a lot of people have struggled with an earthly view of father because their, uh, their fathers either were not there or weren't enough or were abandoned or were too hard or they were abusive, all these things. Listen, you need to know, I, uh, I had an abusive childhood growing up with my father. Now, I'm proud of that. I'm not putting him down or anything. He was, he was messed up psychologically. Uh, he was an alcoholic. He, he did life out of his brokenness and stuff. Something, this is what I can tell you to do. No one person carries an anointing of the Father except for Jesus Christ. Do you hear me? We are a direct reflection of that. And what's true of Him is true of us. By the way, that's another quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. See, don't think I'm getting off into weird doctrine. As he teaches through the book of Romans, he states it many times, but especially in, in understanding of Romans 6 and how we've been set free from sin. What's true of God is true of us. We all carry that anointing. I have such a difficult time receiving the love of the Father. I prayed for so many people with that. But listen, it's not because I have some deep understanding of this. It's just that when, when I got saved, I looked at what it's... I don't know how it happened in my head, and maybe you're struggling with this still today, but I can tell you what to do, what worked for me. I never struggled with it because I read that John 14 stuff that says, if you see me, you see the Father. And I went, that's a lot better than my dad looked. I had no problem receiving the love of the Father because of my earthly father. He's very different. Excuse me, the voice is still breaking. I am cold. He is not like earthly fathers. He's a perfect Father. And Jesus is the perfect representation of Him, incarnate, bodily, God with us. And if you, I'm not putting you down, if you struggle with that, this is what to do. Go to Jesus today and say, Jesus, reveal the Father to me. Because that was His earthly ministry, it's now His heavenly ministry. Reveal the Father to me. That's how He became the Reconciler. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. That He came into the world to reconcile us to God the Father. To God. Stunning. It's the most stunning story ever heard. So if you had a great earthly father, or if you had the most wretched one in the earth, and you think you're Huckleberry Finn, and, and your dad was that way, my dad was that way, this is what I know. You can trust Jesus. He will only show you a good father. 
ever, 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 and forever. And it's His heart's delight as the Savior to reveal the Father to you. And I don't know, uh, well, how do I get over the hurdle of the curse that happened in my family? Just break it. When Jesus did that, he, I don't know why. Listen, this is for some, I had no intent. This is not in any of my notes. Somebody here needs to hear this this morning. Break the curse. He died and became the curse to give you the authority to break the curse. You're not in that lineage anymore. Now, it took me maybe a few years to do that. You can do it in a moment of time. Very early on in my journey of understanding God, I, I, got, I got saved in the state of Arizona. I, I came back for the one first vacation. I was still in the military. And I got so dramatically changed. I mean, it was just like night and day. I was in the Air Force. They called me the dog preacher because I was a dog handler. But all I did was preach. It just... It came out of me, Every everybody I talked to. Uh, they also call me a dog preacher because I used to preach to the dogs. So, a bunch of the African-American brothers were driving by the kennels, and they saw me out there. I had the Bible. I was walking in front of Because they would always quiet down because the dogs are crazy and they want to bite people all the time. We had like 35 of them, so they're all like, and I would walk by and I'd start preaching the psalms to them. You know, that all creation would praise God. And pretty soon they'd all get quiet and they'd all just sit there and watch me go back and forth. And so these African-American brothers that I worked with that were good friends, they started calling me the dog preacher. And it hung. So, and it's just, I loved it and they loved it. And they asked me to preach to them and I would. When that first trip back to Iowa and this understanding of what Jesus done and that he hung on a cross became a curse for you so that the curse could be lifted off of you. And that includes family lineage, stuff that came down, the sins of the fathers coming down. Those can be broken in a moment of time. So I went. I didn't know what else to do, and I didn't know anything about doctrine. I didn't know anything about the right way to do it. I just knew Jesus, which is enough for any of us. And so I went to my father's gravestone and it started raining as I did it. I mean, it was like one of those scenes out of some Charles Dickens novel or something, but I bent my knee right there at my father's gravestone and I had, and I just said, I don't know where you are because I didn't at the time. I wasn't sure what I believed. I don't know if you're in heaven or in hell, but I need to tell you something and you need to know this. I'm free. I am totally, 100% free. Jesus has come into my life, and I'm not bound to anything in our family line anymore. And I want you to know it, that I'm free, and I want to express it so that I know it. And in the name of Jesus, your son, Lloyd Arthur Rindles, is set free completely this day. I've never thought about a Rindles curse again. There isn't any such thing. It died on a cross 2,000 years ago in your family, and you can do that that quickly. It breaks the curse of alcoholism. It breaks the curse of 
sexual weirdness that's in family lines. Every, by the way, you're not the only family. This sin thing went rampant through the whole earth to destroy families. All of that can be broken and in a moment of time, in a moment of time, be swallowed into Jesus. My wife had a, had a dream one time or a vision. I can't remember what it, what it is. And for the sake of time, I'm going to tell Alfred Butcher. But she saw the cross and saw everything. She seen the movie Jumanji. You remember how it does that swirling thing at the end of the movie, at the end when Jumanji closes and everything gets sucked in it? That's what she saw happen. She saw the cross and she saw everything just like spin and it all got sucked into the cross. All the ick, all the bad, everything that was corrupt and had corruption shoot right into the cross of our Savior. We are free people. Free from anybody. Free from not understanding the Father. Free from, from not being able to understand the Bible. Free from all these things. His grace is abounding and sets us free to understanding. Reading this book by Sam Storms. Reading a couple, two books by Sam Storms. But he said, there's three things God gave us freedom for. He said he gave us freedom from condemnation, freedom from sin, and freedom from legalism. And I went, oh, Sam, come on up here and preach. There you go, I'll do it. So I'm in front of you. Okay, somebody needed to hear that today. So here's Abraham, all right? If you were, go home this afternoon. It's a simple prayer. Jesus, I receive everything you did for me, and that breaks every cross, every bit of yuck, not every cross, every sin at the cross, every bit of yuck that, that the enemy has tried to put on me or my family in Jesus' name, I declare it. Boom, it's done. You have authority. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, thank you. Two characteristics about Abraham's covenant that are very, very distinct. Now, there's many characteristics. I'm going to hit two of them. Otherwise, we'll still be doing this in July. So I'm going to give you two of them. Uh, the, and if you look at the story, it begins in Genesis 12, goes all the way. We get to see this promise carried all the way through to Exodus 19. So it's going to carry you through for a great portion uh, of these two books of the Bible. And that there is this special blessing, this is a characteristic, that was given to Abraham and those who were of his family line. An heir. And we, we see how God worked his miracle to bring about that heir. That the very promise of God was a miracle. Not just, not just the idea that a promise would come, not the promise itself, but the very idea of the promise came from God. I will bring an heir through you and Sarah. And they were 90 years old. And uh, it's just absolutely stunning. You read this story. It's, it's such a blow-away story when you really get into the detail. Because, like, they're this old, even as they journey and travel. Do you know how Pharaoh tried to hit on Sarah? And she's, like, 100 years old. It's bizarre. You're going... What must she have looked like at 90? I'd say she was a babe. 
right? It's okay to look at the word. I mean, you look at this and you go, oh, my gosh. It's such an incredible story. Because they're not, they're not like 20-year-olds. They're 90 when these promises start getting told to them. No wonder they had a difficulty believing them. But here's the guarantees. Anybody of your family line, and as so long as you were an heir of Abraham, you were qualified before God. What do you mean? God was said, I will have relationship with you. You will be my child and I will be your God. You are qualified. What qualified him? Being a son or daughter from this line of people. Before Abram, there weren't any Jews. It was through that line. And everybody that came after that received and were qualified to partake of the promise. And the promise was this. God's presence and God's provision. Sound like a pretty good promise? Remember that one. God's presence and God's provision. Never His wrath, vengeance, or curse. So in other words, here, here's under... God's agreement with Abraham, not Abraham's agreement with God. You have to remember, remember last week, this was God initiated. God initiates covenant, not man. The promise of God's blessing wasn't dependent on Abraham's performance, nor of Isaac, nor of Jacob's. You keep going. It wasn't dependent on what they did. It was simply dependent on that they, were, that they had Abraham as a father. And if you really take that back and go all the way back further in Genesis, you see that Abraham's not that far removed from Noah. Yeah, just, just, you know, is this all literal? I don't, yeah. yeah. I know there's questions and doubts and you get into that, and, but, but I take it literally that these people that lived all those like, you start tracking them out and put them on a timeline and then get to Abraham, you're going to go, oh my gosh. So he was hearing these stories passed on as we go and watch the, you know, Russell Crowe be Noah um, in, the, in the movies. Anybody seen that yet? Is it out yet? 28th? I think it looks pretty good. I don't know. They'll probably take a lot of liberty and license. It's a lot. It's a godly movie, hopefully. So probably want to see it before you let your kids see it. But I'm looking forward to it. Those who were born right got favored. Those who were born right of the seed of Abraham, the favor of God was upon. So much so that he said, not only will I be with you, but whoever blesses you, I will bless. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Now you look at the story and see what happened to people, how they treated Abraham and what happened. The favor of God was on this guy. It's an incredible story. It's a display and a foretelling, a foreshadowing of a greater covenant to come that was included in this covenant. Our first idea of the promises of Jesus were begat in the bosom of Abraham. Right here. And that's why we really can, as children, go, Father Abraham. It's why we can do that. And why we should teach our kids that. 
He had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Matter of fact, God told him they would be as the stars of heaven. Now, we have light pollution today, but have you ever gone out way out in the country on a clear night and looked up at the stars? That's just unreal. And that's what we can see with our eye. That's what we can see with our eye. So, first characteristic, the free promise. And he gave a sign with it that doesn't sound so free. The first characteristic of it was God said, look, every time I make a covenant with man, there's going to be a sign and there's going to be blood. And so the first one was circumcision. Now what's really interesting is that didn't come till later. The blessing didn't come at a price. Circumcision was not a price. It was a sign. And it wasn't a sign to God. God doesn't need a sign to know that you're his kid. It was a sign to them that they would know, that they would know deep in their heart. As we were worshiping this morning, I was thinking about the signs and, and carrying it forward. And, and we'll get into this much later, but I can give you a, a quick, quick peek in, into our covenant and so that you can link them. The sign that we have that the Holy Spirit lives in us. That our flesh has been cut away. Our flesh has been gone. And that we have this sign given to us by God. The Holy Spirit alive in us today. It's so stunning. It's so ridiculous. We should be, I don't know, it's hard not to be giddy over this. And it's hard not to be very serious over this. It's a funny tension, isn't it? It's the most joyous thing on the earth and the most serious thing on the earth because you are a son or daughter of God. And God dwells in you. And all of creation, all of creation, all of the lost sons and daughters are looking to see God in you. They're just waiting for a slight glimpse. The slightest glimpse. And when we display our love to them, they get to see it. They get to see the promise. Because He's in you. So it's a sign of the covenant that actually Abraham's already walking in. And uh, it wasn't a benefit for Abraham, but it certainly set them apart. We're set apart today but we're inviting everybody in. I don't know about you. I want people to come in. I want everybody to come in. I pray for it in our little prayer meeting all the time, you know. Lord, bring people in that they would find the Father. The more we keep living each other, loving each other, the more it's, it's going to happen. The very act of circumcision was a promise to Abraham that he could look at, see, and yes, feel when it happened that God was with him, he would always be with him, and he would be his provision. And it was a sign he carried in his body. Now, think through, connect with this, please. He carried it with him all the days of his life. The sign that God was with him 
wouldn't leave him or forsake him was right there. Stunning, isn't it? He always knew. And he let every child after him know as each male child was circumcised. God doesn't need to be reminded of his promises as if he would ever forget them. But you and I do. And I believe that's why God instituted circumcision. It wasn't meanness. It wasn't to make them special or not special. I've heard everything that was done for health wasn't done for anything. It was to remind them of who they were. You need to remind yourself very often of who you are. Get up tomorrow morning and through the promise of Abraham, through Jesus his seed, you can look in the mirror and say, I'm free. I'm free from shame. I'm free from guilt. I'm free from condemnation. I'm free, free, free. And I walk as a child today. Start doing that every day before you go to work and see what happens in your life because you're reminding yourself of the promise. Second characteristic. This is a really interesting one. It's a very exciting one. It's one that's not often talked about and not often preached about because it's the very argument of why Abraham gets mentioned so much by Paul in his letters. God after he swears his covenant oath to Abraham, never once through the whole story curses, rebukes, punishes, or judges Abraham's family, himself, or his descendants. And they messed up. And they did bad things. They lied, cheated, sinned, killed, did all sorts of things, and they are never punished for any of them over their behavior. Now, don't think that God's winking at sin here. The people around him did. You have to remember, within the story of Abraham, we find the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But for Abraham, there was... There was nothing but blessing on his life. It's amazing as you read through the whole story. And, uh, uh, you know, because we do get to see what God was capable of doing. And, and there's a lot of stuff today about whether there is wrath of God or not wrath of God and stuff. All you have to do is read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. The wrath of God is real. It, it just is. And I don't think that we should try to... Uh, erase any of that because it is for wrath that God included and died for me. Because see, I, I do believe in that. I believe that that a great penalty was paid. He took that penalty. That was me. I deserved that. He didn't just die for me. He died as me, so that I could be raised and justified. So, yes. Yeah, there's a, there's a promise there, and I can talk to you about it afterwards, but it's actually prior, it's under 
uh, a covenant with Noah, and it's about how things would, how he would deal with the earth, so and what he would implement, which is actually sowing and reaping. So, it's definitely there. His anger against sin was never directed at Abraham and his heirs. It's stunning. You can read it. Go, go search it out. I, I could take you through all the scriptures today. Uh, uh, but what's really important to understand is that with that, God was trying to make a huge statement. And it was this. Before the law, sin was not imputed to Abraham because God made covenant with him. He made agreement with him. And sin was not imputed to Abraham. In New Covenant Christianity, and I know this is a hard concept, this is what Paul, that's why Paul wrote so much about Abraham and directed this. And you'll find it in Corinthians and Colossians, especially in Galatians. But he talks about that, and we're going to look at those verses as to why it's so important. And why Paul said, look, you have to understand something here. That God was doing something to show us something, and there's a pattern here from the covenant of Abraham through the covenant when, when the covenant of Moses came onto a better covenant, as it's described in Hebrews. And that better covenant actually was linked to this covenant with Abraham. And it's why God said it was so important, because it was a covenant, if you will, of blessing. Some writers say this. It was a covenant of grace. And that's why the new covenant connects so strongly with it. Follow me? Hebrews 4. He's speaking of, of uh, the writer, I'm sorry, Romans 4. Paul is speaking about this promise. And he says in verse 13, For the promise that he would be, Abraham, heir of the world, was not just to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise made no effect because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. That's why you see this incredible story of Abraham. It wasn't that Abraham lived perfectly. It's that Abraham believed God. It wasn't... Here's the thing we have to connect with this. The Abrahamic covenant wasn't about Abraham's performance to do it. It was about Abraham's connection to God because God chose him and said, I will love you and I will bless you. That connection is ours today. And it's the same thing that Jesus says to us. When you do this life exchange and you say, I received your life, my old life, died. I get new life, and the life I now live is through promise, not through performance. And that's what the whole says. I, I believe that's why the story of Abraham is there for us. Does that mean that I get to do whatever I want? Let me say with Paul, no, God forbid. You ever notice there's things that the Bible forbids? See, there's a great difference between the law and legalism. 
The law is right and good, you guys. And we should never, listen, as you get free in your life, and we think we have a freedom here, and you see somebody, somebody else living under the law, listen, when they're trying to be moral and good and obey, bless them. That's a right thing to do. That's not a wrong thing to do. What's legalistic is when I decide that these are the rules, and if I don't obey them, I don't get God. Or worse yet, here's a better form of legalism. These are the rules, and unless you do them, you don't get to be a part. That's legalism. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law's perfect. Read, read the Psalms. The law was good. God gave you good. It's just that the law was weak in something. It couldn't make you righteous. All it did was show what wasn't righteous. The law has this great negative effect in that it always reveals where you don't measure up. That's what it does. It's not wrong to try and obey. No. As a matter of fact, we walk in obedience because we walk in Christ. Because He obeyed. So we walk in this obedience. But to become legalistic and go, ah, I did that one. Now I don't count anymore. Yeah. I don't know where... That's a legalistic heart that does that. I know I live there. I was that. I'm not that today. But I was there. I still love, no matter what you've heard from others outside of me, you being in here with me, I am not against the law. I am 100% for the law. I'm just not a legalist about it. I believe that Jesus fulfilled the law on my behalf and I walk in Him. I don't walk in sinless perfection. I walk in the righteousness of Christ. And that is glorious. And if I mess up tomorrow, he's not going to leave me or forsake me. He's not going to go, hey, he did it. No, it's just like Abraham. Look at you, kid. He'll let me learn from it. Oh, by the way, when you do mess up, there's usually some circumstances that follow that. i got to tell you today, if you're sinning, sin will destroy your life. It won't destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your life. It won't affect between you and God other than, you know, when we say there's no condemnation, I will tell you this, the enemy will lie to you and you will feel so condemned as you try and stand before God. It's icky. It's not a true feeling because the true person is free. But as long as you stay in sin, that true person is hard to see, even for you. Is this making sense? And the, and the effects of sin, come on, we all know it. It's throughout the Word of God from beginning to end. I'm here to tell you again, sin will eat your life up. It will affect your relationships. It will affect how you deal with other people. It will affect you. Because it's walking in great clothes. It's, it's putting on something that doesn't fit anymore. The, the new person in Christ doesn't like to wear dirty clothes. But the legalist says, I have to get that right or, or it'll keep this separation. And I don't know about you, but I lived in the, the sin avoidance syndrome for much of my Christian walk. 
Did you ever do this? You sin, so you feel bad. So all of a sudden your prayer time gets cut in half, and you don't really bring it up because you're hoping, well, maybe if I forget it, he will or something. But you still sort of feel guilty about it, and then you do something again. And, oh, and then you repeat the sin, and then, it, you know, it's like this toilet bowl. You know, and the plunger got plunged. That's what sin does. And you just keep... And so you start building this wall between you and God, and then you're convinced that you have to do something to convince Him to like you again. Or at least it. okay, you don't deserve it, but I'll be merciful to you. That is not the covenant of promise. We run to God because He has forgiven you. He died once for sin. Run to His arms. Listen, if you're caught in anything today, get free of it. And I will, even as we go through these teachings this summer, we'll get deeply into Romans 6. Because the greatest freedom we have is to be free from sin. It has no, I'm telling you, I'm going to make a very bold declaration about me. It has no authority in my life. None. Do you confess your sin? Yes, nothing wrong with confession. Don't, don't listen to any, I'm telling you, there's teachings out there. It's, if there's something between you and the Lord, go talk, run to Him. He's right there waiting. Remember the Father. He's there waiting, run into His arms. You don't have to get cleaned up to come before God. He's already made you righteous. Run in. Go, oh, look. You go, yeah, let me. You know, it's already been paid for. The minute, here's what's it. When you start walking in this, this is what I'm so excited about. I don't even have to tell him. You know, often he says to me, I, no, it's done. I paid for that already, remember? All he does is remind me of the covenant promise. I paid for that. I don't see your sin. You see it. Now stop. You're free from that. Don't live in that. It's glorious. It's so simple. Legalism makes it hard. Let's just stand with me. Here's the promise of Abraham brought forward. This is incredible. This is in Galatians. Please read this sometime this week. Go back and read the book of Galatians, but especially chapters 3 through 5. Here's the precious promise. From now on, from now on, there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. All are made clean. There's no legalistic line of demarcation, innies and outies. <laughs> There's no more of that. That in Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, we become the offspring of blessing. We receive the full inheritance. For every believer, for every Gentile believer that comes in, for every Jewish believer, when they come in, every Gentile, every Jew, they are, this is what Paul said, they are the sons of Abraham. He says, this is the true spirit. And boy, Paul is clear. Boom! There it is. Now, it messes probably with all of our doctrine and even some of your end-time theology stuff and all that. But I'm telling you, boom, it's right there. You're a child of promise. 
Point yourself right now. I am a child of promise. I have all the blessings of Jesus Christ available to me every day in my life. I am no longer under condemnation. I am free. And every blessing that Jesus has, I can walk fully in this entire week, this month, this year, all the way through this life. Whether I stand here or whether I die at His coming, I am made perfect. In Jesus' name, amen.